we are in part two of what we talked about last week. We talked about the topic of divorce last week. That's a difficult topic uh, for us to discuss and look at sometimes. If you didn't get a chance to, if you weren't here last week, you can uh, go back and listen to the first part of this uh, sermon uh, online if you'd like to do that. But there was a lot more to be said than really time permitted last week. And so uh, I decided we'd split this up into a couple of different sermons. So we will uh, read a little bit of what we read last week in Mark chapter 10, if you want to turn there. Mark chapter 10. We'll read verses uh, 11 and 12. And then we'll also flip back to Matthew 19 for just a moment. And then eventually we will finish up in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's a lot of flipping, so I'll give you guys a heads up if you want to put a finger or a bookmark or something in some of those. Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 19, and 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Give everybody a second to find that. Uh, we will read through these texts and kind of briefly uh, recap some of the things we talked about last week and talk about one of the one of the big questions when it comes to divorce and, and how maybe we should respond to certain situations uh, when they should arise. Mark chapter 10 is where we will start. Let's pray and then we'll get started. Dear Lord God, we come to you this morning and I pray that you would hide me behind the cross as I preach and teach your word. I pray that you would help me to uh, do a good job to present what your word says in a way that helps us to grow in you and understand it as best we can. Uh, but with many things in your word, this is a difficult topic. There may be many questions that arise in our mind, dear Lord, and, and maybe there aren't easy answers for all these questions. God, you know I don't have all the answers, but I pray that you help me to uh, present your word faithfully. Uh, God, sometimes your word is, is tough. Sometimes it says things that uh, maybe we don't like to hear, uh, but help us to, to uh, read it and study it all the same and try to understand as best we can what we think it means, dear Lord, and how it applies to our life. I pray that you would bind the enemy this morning, that you wouldn't let him influence my thoughts or anyone else's thoughts, that you wouldn't allow him to get our mind off track. I pray that you would take away any nerves or pride that I may have, dear Lord, that I can think clearly and speak clearly. I pray that you would bring your words to my mind that you want me to say, God, that I would be faithful to preach and teach them. And God, I pray that as we deal with this, this topic today, that your Holy Spirit would be good to us. And I pray that it would be a blessing from being here and hearing your word. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. This is Jesus speaking here. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now that was the really tough part of this passage that we talked about briefly last week. Now thankfully, as we talked about last week, Jesus uh, elaborates in further detail on this topic in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19. And it's in those two chapters of Matthew that Jesus says divorce is wrong except for cases of sexual immorality. Now that except clause is important. That is if you are married and your spouse is unfaithful to you 
and the marriage ends in divorce for that reason, that the innocent party is not held guilty, that adultery is not charged to uh, the one who was sinned against in the marriage, the spouse who was cheated on. Now, uh, this passage in Mark is a difficult one, but thankfully uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew's uh, account of these same events uh, give us a little bit of peace of mind in marriages where uh, it does come to these horrible circumstances. Now, I cannot imagine the difficulty that there uh, must be in, in such marriage uh, situations. Perhaps some of you uh, can relate to that, maybe firsthand, or maybe you know someone uh, who has experienced those things, and I can't even begin to imagine the difficulties and the heartache uh, that come from those type of situations. Uh, I do not belittle those situations in any way. I know that those things are very serious, and I don't know how I would respond in such a situation uh, should that type of thing ever occur. Hopefully we don't find ourselves in those situations, but the truth of the matter is, in our broken world, sometimes those things do occur. And so Jesus says, look, divorce is not something that we should be seeking in our lives and in our marriages. All of this came about because the Pharisees were coming against Jesus, asking him a question. Hey, Moses allowed us to divorce for any reason. What do you have to say about the matter? Now, obviously the, the Pharisees probably didn't have too high of a view of marriage. They were ready to divorce for any reason, it would appear. And they did not think divorce was that bad. And they came to Jesus asking this, this question, and I don't know what they expected Jesus to say, but I don't believe that they expected for Jesus to say what he did. In their mind, divorce probably wasn't that serious of a thing. But Jesus equated divorce to adultery, which they did acknowledge was a serious thing. And we talked about that last week in John chapter 8 when these Pharisees, maybe even the same ones who were asking this question, some of them, brought this woman to Jesus who was caught in adultery, and they were ready to stone her because that's what the law called for. Not only the female, but the male too, although they didn't bring the male, as we discussed previously. But they were very concerned with following the letter of the law, and they took adultery seriously. But they did not take divorce seriously. And so when they came to Jesus asking about divorce, and he said, divorce is tantamount or equal to adultery, this would have gotten their attention because Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? Divorce is a serious thing and divorcing for any reason other than sexual immorality is a serious thing and Jesus said it is equal to adultery. Now, this is not uncommon for Jesus to teach in this way. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made similar connections to the attitude of the people and what God called them to, which usually led to either a complete misunderstanding of what the law said or just a, just, uh, just a misinterpretation of what it says, or, or maybe they just didn't care and they just made up some laws on their own, which indeed appears to be the case as we read through Scripture. But it's not uncommon for Jesus to take a, a common view of the day and say, okay, here's what you believe, but here's what Jesus taught, and here's the real standard that God is calling us to. Uh, we see a simple example of that in Matthew 5 uh, where Jesus said, you have heard it said, don't murder. Uh, but I tell you, anybody uh, that hates his brother is guilty. Now, what we kind of see here, at least what I kind of see in Scripture when we see these Pharisees and other people, is that they would go just up to the edge of the letter of the law. That is, you can hate your brother, you can talk bad about your brother, you can say things about somebody else, 
But as long as you don't kill them, that's okay. But Jesus said, look, you say murder's wrong, and indeed it was. But Jesus said, even if you hate your brother, you're in the wrong. And Jesus really holds us to a higher standard than what the law called, or at least what the Pharisees lived by when they lived by the law. Boy, they would, they would find loopholes. Not that there were any, but they would say, oh, I'm in the good because I'm living by the letter of the law. But to sum up what Jesus taught, I believe we could sum it up by saying Jesus taught the heart of the law, not just the letter of the law. Jesus says, I'm not just telling you not to murder your brother. I'm telling you to be good to your brother. I'm telling you not to even hate your brother. It's not about just murder. It's about loving other people. Jesus wants us to love other people. And so this, this, this style that Jesus used, if we can call it a style, by taking something that they believed and then holding them to a higher standard than what they believed is, is pretty common for us through Scripture. And that's what Jesus does with divorce here. And he speaks in this way, and he uses uh, these, these very firm terms to help them understand how serious uh, divorce is. And so uh, the law permitted adultery, and even Jesus permitted adultery in situations of sexual immorality, uh, but even though that's allowed, it doesn't necessarily always have to be the case. Now, this is why I said I don't, I don't take these, these type of things lightly. I'm not implying that uh, sexual immorality in a marriage is, is an insignificant thing. And it's understandable when those type of things occur that marriages sometimes end. But even in situations that are that bad, the command is not you must get a divorce in sexual immorality. Even in the worst situations and the worst marriages, our desire should be to seek restoration if at all possible, to use all reasonable means to try to keep that marriage together. Now, it's not always possible, and not all people may have the ability to do that in a marriage, understandably so. But sometimes we do see people, and we know people, or maybe you are some of those people, who have experienced the most horrible thing that there could be in a marriage, in sexual immorality, but yet you still desire to restore your marriage with your spouse. Now, I think that's one of the most beautiful things ever. I see people sometimes that are in marriage situations that are just that horrible, and you'll see a husband or a wife that want to stay with the other one. Even though the other one has done something horrible in the marriage, you still sometimes see one spouse that says, you know what, this hurts. This is hard. I don't know how I'm going to get through it, but I, I want to restore my marriage with my spouse. And sometimes I'll hear people say, I don't know why he stays with her, or I don't know why she stays with him after, after they did that to them. I don't know why they're staying in that marriage. If it was me, I would just leave. Well, maybe you would or maybe you wouldn't. We don't know what we would do if we've never been in that situation. And they say they're just stupid for wanting to stay in that marriage. But I disagree with that statement. I don't think it's ever stupid for somebody to say, I love my spouse and I am broken because of what they have done to me, but I want to see my marriage restored and I want to fight to see my marriage restored. I don't think that's stupid at all. I think that's one of the most beautiful things that there is for someone to say, in all that someone has done to me, I want to be with them. I want them to change. I want our marriage to flourish. I think that's a beautiful thing because I think that's exactly what God does for us. 
Now, I referenced Jeremiah 3 last week, and I didn't, I didn't do a good job. I kind of sped through it, and I'll speed through it again. But, but I think I said something along the lines of uh, God gave his people divorce papers, but then he said, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. Well, to elaborate a little further on exactly what took place there is it says in Jeremiah 3, and I encourage you to read it, that God said, look, because of Israel and Judah and the evil sinfulness they did, because they had prostituted themselves with other nations, that is, they had left God and they had begun to follow other nations and their gods, you, you will see this through the book of Judges that we covered a few months back. You will see that Israel did that continually. And God said, enough is enough. I have been faithful to you, Israel, but you have been unfaithful to me. Therefore, I'm giving you a divorce certificate. But then God followed it up by saying, but just return to me. But just come back to me. I am married to you. I am yours and you are mine. Just return to me. Just turn from your evil ways. Turn from your unfaithfulness and come back to me because I want to restore our marriage. That's what, that's what God is saying in Jeremiah chapter 3. And when I see people in broken marriages that have been hurt in the, in the most horrible way possible, and they say, as hard as it is, I want my marriage to be restored. Man, that's a beautiful thing. And people that have that attitude and that desire, they are following the example of God. They are following the example of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not to say that those who don't have that heart and attitude, some people may say, I just can't do it. It's just too hard. And maybe you can't do it. And maybe it is too hard. And Jesus said, in those cases, you are free from guilt. You are free from condemnation. Now, this is the only exception clause that Jesus gives. Now, this is where talking on this topic is a very difficult thing, at least for me and maybe for you too. It's a very difficult thing because the fact of the matter is is that there are serious things that happen in a marriage. There is serious abuse sometimes that occurs, whether it be a man to a woman or a woman to a man. Both occur. In marriages, there are times where the wife is abusive to the husband in some way, and there are ways that the husband is abusive to the wife. Now, this could be physically. This could be uh, verbally, this could be emotionally, this, this could take place in a lot of forms. Now, this is just one example. I'll use this example because it helps us to understand the difficulty of it. You, we could probably come up with lots of questions. Well, what if this happened? What if that happened? Things that we all would agree are very bad things, but the real question is, does God allow for divorce in those situations, or does he just intend for us to stay in those situations where we are abused by our spouse or where we know people who are abused by, our, by their spouse? And what kind of advice do we give them? What do we say to them? Now, this is a tough topic for me, and you better believe that I have spent a ton of time studying the Scripture and studying this topic over the years as a pastor because there are occasions where people may come to you and they may be in a really horrible marriage, in a really horrible situation. And they say, I want to get out. I can't take it anymore. Well, what kind of advice are we, we to give them? Or we to say, well, God is okay with it. I know Jesus only says except for sexual immorality, but, but God is okay with other really bad situations as well. And that's what I want to tell people. But I'm going to be honest with you. 
I have looked and looked and looked through Scripture, and I can't find any other exception. Now, I say that, I say that knowing, knowing that that is extremely difficult. Now, you may say, that's just your interpretation. I, I look at Scriptures and I interpret them differently. And maybe you do. And maybe you're right and maybe I'm wrong. But I can only preach to you or teach to you God's word as best as I understand it and what I believe it says. And the only other possible, the only other possible position we can take on divorce would come from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to turn there. I hear these passages referenced a lot when it comes to divorce. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And many would, would view this passage, these verses we're going to look at, is the second exception clause that the Bible allows for. That there is a way out of a marriage that is not sinful in bad situations. Now, I would encourage you to read this passage on your own and study it for yourself and come to your own conclusions because you may very well come to a different conclusion than me. And if that's your conviction, then so be it. You go by what the Lord says. But you really need to read it for yourself. You need to understand it for yourself. This is, there are very few places, really, that discuss uh, divorce in the New Testament. The, the instances we saw of Jesus in this instance here are probably uh, the main two that we see. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is talking uh, about different situations of marriage. And he begins to break down certain things that he uh, would, would, would say are good, or that the Lord specifically has said are good when it comes to marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. We'll read verses 8 and 9. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with desire. Now, it is... Most likely what Paul means there when he says in verse 8, when he speaks to the unmarried and the widows, that he wishes that they would stay as he were, it is most likely that he means single, that he is a single person and that he is encouraging other people who are not yet married or are, who have been married and lost their spouse. He says, look, I think it's better if you remain single. Now he goes on to talk about that later in this chapter. And he goes on to say, look, here's why I think that. Because when you become married, uh, you have lots of other things on your mind that, that, that may take place over you serving the Lord. And that's true. When you're single, when you're by yourself, you only have to worry about yourself. And the fact of the matter is, when you get married, you worry about your spouse. How are you going to take care of them? And they worry about how they're going to take care of you. And your mind is on your spouse and on the things of the world and on your marriage and that takes your mind off of the Lord. That's the reason why Paul says, look, I encourage you to stay single. Paul said, I think that's, that's a good way to be because then you can be fully devoted to the Lord. He's not saying it's wrong to be married. But he says, this is my opinion. This is what I think. And so to you who have not been married, think about being single. It's, it's going to be better for you if you want to serve the Lord. And if you're, if you're a widow, then don't get married again. But he does say in verse 9, he says, but if you do not have self-control, 
then you should marry. Because it's better to marry than to burn with desire or to burn with passion. Now, Paul realizes that there are uh, certain, certain desires that burn within a man or a woman, and he knows that it's difficult to fight against those desires sometime. And so he says, look, if you don't have self-control, it's better to get married than to find yourself in, in sin in some way. And so this is the first group that Paul talks to in this section of, of married, married people, or in this case, unmarried people. And so this is his first view on marriage. His recommendation is to stay single if you can. But if you can't, then get married. The next group of people he talks to comes in verses 10 and 11. I command the married, not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to leave his wife. Now, we can't, from this two verses, come to the conclusion that Paul is speaking to Christian marriages here. But as we read through the context in the next few verses, it seems as though this group that Paul is speaking of here in verses 10 or 11 are probably Christian marriages. These are brothers and sisters in Christ who are married. But even if he's speaking to those who are in a marriage and both are non-Christian, well, the same, same is true. God still doesn't want us to get divorced, whether we're Christian and married or both parties are non-Christian and married. I don't believe that God uh, desires for there to be divorce in either circumstance. But I believe that Paul is probably speaking to, in this second group here, Christians who have been married. And he says, look, the Lord commands you, not I, but the Lord commands you that you're not to leave each other. A husband is not to leave his wife, a wife is not to leave her husband. Some of your translations may have the word divorce there instead of leave. And that's probably what Paul is speaking of. He's probably not speaking of just simply uh, separating or leaving a marriage, that that's wrong. I think he's probably speaking of divorce here. You're not to divorce your wife, you're not to divorce your husband. And if you do divorce, then you're not to, be, you're not to remarry. That's it. You're, you're to stay separated. You're not to remarry again except for the exception clause that Jesus gives. In the case where you divorce because of sexual immorality, then that exception would apply to this situation. But if there is no sexual immorality that takes place and just a divorce occurs, then Paul says that you are to remain apart and not remarry unless you are going to remarry one another. Now, these instructions are pretty clear here. If you're not married, Paul says you probably shouldn't get married, that's my opinion. Uh, but if you do get married, you got to stay with your spouse. If you and your spouse divorce, then you can't get married again. That's it. You, 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 you're done for unless you decide you want to go back and marry that person again. Those are the first two groups that Paul addressed. But here's the, the verses in question that are often brought up, and we want to look at them to see what do we think God is telling us here so that we can come to an informed decision on what we think God's Word says about this topic. Uh, verse 12, verses 12 through 17. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest. Now let's stop right there, because that might be a tricky verse for us to consider. Because in the previous verse, Paul said, the Lord says, not I. But then in this verse, he says, I say, not the Lord. Now is Paul saying here that the first command was from the Lord, but the second command is just from me, not from the Lord. I don't think that that's what Paul is saying because I believe all of Scripture is inspired. I think Paul's words are inspired here. But what I think he's saying is previously the Lord spoke on this topic in some way. 
And so when I repeat these, these things from verses 10 and 11, I'm simply repeating what I have heard the Lord say. Now in these next verses, Paul says, look, the Lord has not spoken directly on these topics, but I'm going to tell you what you need to know about these topics. That is, the Lord is still speaking through Paul in these topics, but maybe Jesus never spoke these exact words or these exact instructions while he was ministering. Now, that's the way I believe that probably that is to be taken, although some would say, no, Paul is just saying his opinion here, and this opinion doesn't apply to us. But I don't, I don't hold to that view because I believe all of God's Word is inspired. And so even though Jesus may have never spoken this command himself, God has inspired Paul to tell us these words that he is about to tell us. Verse 12, But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not leave her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not leave her husband. For the unbelieving husband is set apart for God by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is set apart for God by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be corrupt, but now they are set apart for God. Now, here we have our third group. First were the unmarried, the second appear to be Christians who are married, and the third group appears to be people who are married in a relationship where they are unequally yoked. That is, one, one, one spouse in the marriage is a Christian, and the other spouse in the marriage is a non-Christian. Now, Paul says in such situations, if the Christian is, 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 is married to the non-Christian, and the non-Christian says, I want out of the marriage. I don't want to be a part of this marriage. I'm leaving you. I'm divorcing you. I'm done with you. Paul says to the believer in that situation, if an unbeliever is in the marriage and they want out, then let them out. They are free to go. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation in that. And the, and the, and the, and the Christian party in that situation is okay. Whether it's a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. Paul says, let them go. But Paul says, if you are married and one of you is a Christian and one of you is a non-Christian, but the unbeliever, the non-Christian, desires to stay in the marriage and don't want to leave, then you have to stay in the marriage. That's what you agree to. You agree to the marriage. You're free if the unbeliever wants out. But if the unbeliever wants to stay, then Paul says you need to stay in the marriage. And he says it's good for you to stay in the marriage because by you being in the marriage, you may have a godly impact on your spouse. There's something you may say or you may do that may rub off on them and may lead them to Christ. He said, and also, it's good for your children. It's good for your children if your marriage stays together. It's good for your children because they're with both parents, and one of the parents is a believer. And so, therefore, they will not be raised as ungodly children, but they will have a godly influence in their life. So Paul says, if the unbeliever desires to stay, then you are to stay uh, married to your spouse. Now, verse 15. Here's the, here's the verse in question. Verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Now, many would say that this is the second exception clause in the scripture but if the unbeliever leaves let him or her leave now the, the most common thing i see and i see this a lot and perhaps it's correct i'll let you study it and decide for yourself 
is that these verses speak of abandonment. That if a, if a husband or wife abandons their spouse, then the believing spouse is free. Well, that's true. Paul has already said that. We cannot deny that. But the application that's often used is that this abandonment can not just occur from a divorce taking place, but many would say abandonment occurs anytime one spouse refuses to live up to their vows. That is, if there is abuse taking place, if they are not meeting the husband or wife's needs in an appropriate way, if there's wrongdoing that's going and the person, the husband doesn't care about the wife or the wife doesn't care about the husband, even if they, are re, uh, even if they remain married and one spouse does not desire to leave the marriage, they have, in essence, abandoned their spouse by abandoning their vow to take care of their spouse. Therefore, you can divorce in those situations and it is okay. So situations of abuse or other bad situations. Now I hear this, this, this a lot, but I'll be honest with you, I simply do not see that in the text. I think that that is reading way more into the text than the text says. I understand why we want to read that into the text. I want to read that into the text. I would love for there to be a second exception clause there apart from what Jesus said. But I simply cannot see that in the text. Now, you may see it in there, and if that's your conviction, then so be it. You live by that, and, you, and, 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 and let that uh, kind of shape your decisions and your views on divorce and the advice that you would give to other people. But I do not believe that when it says, if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave, I don't believe that's that speaking of abandoning vows. I think that that's speaking in the context of what Paul has been talking about and that is a husband or a wife leaves their spouse. They divorce their spouse. And the problem or the other part of the argument is, is that it says at the end of the verse, God has called you to live in peace. God doesn't want you to be in a marriage that's bad. If your spouse, even if they desire to stay married to you, if they're abusing you, they have abandoned you in a sense. And God doesn't want you to, to, to live in a bad marriage. God wants you to be at peace. And so therefore... It's okay for you to get a divorce. Well, maybe that's what that verse means, or maybe not. But I tend to think that that's not what the verse means. If we read further in verse 16, For you, wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Are you, husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? Now, and this goes along with the whole context of what we've been, we, we've been talking about. Paul says, look, if the unbeliever wants to leave, let him leave. If he wants to stay with you, that's great because you may have an, a godly influence on him, but you may not, or her, uh, you may not have a godly influence. They, you may not change them. In, in, a, in a perfect world, your spouse would change. They would come to the Lord too, but, but we don't live in a perfect world. So they may not change their mind. You may save them or you may not save them. And there may be situations where your spouse wants to leave and you're trying your best to keep the marriage together. And that's, a, that's an honorable and admirable thing to do. And you may change your spouse or you may not change your spouse. There may be some instances where one spouse desires to leave and they are an unbeliever and you simply must allow them to leave. Then he goes on to say in verse 17, However, each one must live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches, that we must live our life in the situation that we were in when God called us. Now I think what Paul means there is, if you are both unbelievers, you and your spouse, 
and you, be, and you become a believer, well, your situation was that you were married to someone who was an unbeliever. I believe Paul says, look, if God called you while you were in that situation, you shouldn't say, well, I'm a believer now, therefore I'm going to divorce. Now, this applies to other areas, too, as you, as you read on. Uh, if you're a slave and you become, uh, you become a follower of Christ, it doesn't free you from being a slave. Uh, whatever situation you are in when God called you, you're still in that situation after you've become a Christian. Uh, and so uh, it, it, it may be difficult, but that's what Paul says you are to do. And that's why I believe he gives this whole this whole. A speech here in these last few verses about if the unbeliever wants to believe wants to leave because you when you got married uh, both of you were unbelievers well then you get married and you're a believer and your lifestyle change your actions change it's very possible that the unbeliever will say I'm done I don't want to be in this situation and Paul says look in that situation you're not bound but that's up to the unbeliever to make the call not up to you to make the call now this, this is a tough topic. This is a tough situation. What are we to do in situations where there is real abuse that takes place in a marriage? What are we to say? Well, you just need to pray harder and hope they change. Well, I don't think we need to say that because I think that's missing a serious problem that's going on because any kind of abuse or problem in a marriage is a serious problem. And I am fearful that oftentimes when this topic is preached on, and it's said that Jesus only allows one exception, that people who are in abusive marriages may say, well, I'm just doomed. There's nothing I can do. I can't talk to the preacher. He doesn't care. He's going to tell me, well, unless there's sexual immorality, you're stuck. God doesn't care. He doesn't care about my situation or else he would have given me a way out. And sometimes I think that when messages like these are preached, that it may come down really hard and may seem like that there is not any care for those who are in abusive situations. But I will tell you that that is not the case at all. I believe that if there is someone who is in abusive marriage, then they need to get out of that abusive marriage. They need to leave their spouse, not in a sense of divorcing them, but they need to get out of the situation. Now, if we're in a marriage, we need to do everything we can uh, reasonably do to try to hold that marriage together, I believe. But there are some times where a spouse is doing things that are beyond reason. You have done everything you can reasonably do, and there is one spouse who is being abusive to the other spouse. Some pastors would say, well, you just got to be there and you, gotta, you just got you just gotta live with it. I know one pastor as I was studying this and, and, and he, he tells uh, women in his congregation or men in his congregation that are abused, well, Jesus was abused and he took the suffering so that many could be saved. And you need to be abused and take the suffering so that maybe your spouse can be saved. Now, I don't know that that's good advice or not. Perhaps it is, but I don't believe it is. And I don't believe that God intends for us men and women if we are in an abusive relationship where there is physical danger where there is other danger that's that's occurring that god wants us to sit there and take that danger i believe that god does want us to seek safety in those instances especially when our children are involved even jesus left sometimes when the crowds were getting unruly when they were coming against him even Jesus would slip through. Even Paul, on occasion, when there was beatings and sufferings to take place, Paul said, hey, wait a minute. I'm not going to take this. So avoiding suffering does not say that we are avoiding our, our service to the Lord in our marriage. I don't believe that to be the case at all. 
I believe that sometimes it is wise for us in abusive situations to take whatever necessary precautions we need to leave. Now, that may not be divorce because Jesus doesn't uh, give us an exception in that way, but we do need to get to safety, and that, that situation needs to be addressed, especially if the person who is being abused is a Christian, especially if the other party in the house is also claiming to be a Christian. This situation needs to be addressed. And so if you're a man or a woman who are in an abusive relationship, I would say flee to safety. Maybe not divorce, but flee to safety. Now that's easy to say up here, but even that comes with a lot of complications. Because what if you leave your spouse and they become angry and the abuse becomes worse? What if you go to your pastor or your friends and they don't really seem to care to take any action in the situation to help you? They don't treat it as though it's a big deal. What if the spouse in uh, the, 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 this abusive is, goes to church with you and everyone in the church looks at brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so as an upstanding person of God? If you go to the pastor and tell him that a brother or sister is abusing you, are they going to take you serious? If you, if you let it be known that this is taking place, are people going to think less of you inside with your husband who's a deacon in the church? It's not as easy just to leave an abusive situation. What if your spouse is the one that provides the money? Where are you going to go? How are you going to live? What if there are kids involved? You don't want to uproot your kids from their home, from their school, from their friends, then they've got to answer questions. They've got to ask questions about mom or daddy. They got to ask questions about what's going on. So when we say or think, I don't know why so and so doesn't just get out of that abusive situation. Because it's not that simple. It's not just, well, I'm, I'm just going to get to safety. There are lots of things that play into these situations. And it is important for us, brothers and sisters in Christ, when there are problems that go on with other brothers and sisters in Christ, that we take these problems seriously. That we try to offer support and protection to those who are being abused and that we follow biblical guidelines on addressing these types of situations. Now, we see Paul address these things and we see Jesus address these things. Paul addresses a conflict in 1 Corinthians. There's a conflict in the church. There's somebody who's uh, doing something wrong, and he tells the church to call them out. He says, look, it's not up to you, church, to judge people outside of the world. That's God's job. But it is your job, church, to judge those who are within your congregation. It is your job to address those who are your people when bad situations are occurring. It is your situation to deal with those type of things. How do we deal with those type of things? Well, Jesus tells us, how to deal with those type of things in Matthew chapter 18. He says, look, if you've got a problem with somebody, you go to that person. If your spouse is abusive to you, then you need to tell them, look, this isn't right. If your spouse is still abusive and, re and refuses to repent, that's one thing that we need to remember here. In many cases of abuse, both parties will profess to be Christians, but yet one person is abusing the other one and not thinking twice about it. Well, there's our first red flag that comes up. Now, if anybody is a true Christian 
and they are, they are, it's pointed out the sin that is in their life, there should be a desire of repentance. Now, for restoration to take place, and I believe that's what God desires, that's what he desired in his marriage with his people in the Old Testament, and I believe that's what God desires in our marriages, even in bad situations, God desires restoration. But for restoration to take place, God told his people in Jeremiah 3, you have to repent. You have to stop living in sin. And the same is true in abusive marriages. If one party is abusive to the other, and they say, look, this isn't right. Please stop doing this. And they don't care, and they continue to abuse. And guess what? They're unrepentant. That's a big red flag right there for someone professing to be a Christian. Now, Jesus would say, look, if, if the person who is, who, is, who is harming you or offending you or sinning against you in some way refuses to turn from their sins, then seek others. Perhaps a pastor, a counselor, or a friend, and say, look, here's what's happening to me. I want my marriage to be restored, but my husband or my wife will not stop what they're doing. They are harming me. They are harming our children. What do I need to do? Well, you need to contact the authorities, first and foremost, if there's serious abuse there. Again, as I mentioned a while ago, that's easier said than done. There's a lot of variables to consider in that. But if possible, and you're able to, you need to contact the authorities in those type of situations. And other brothers or sisters in Christ, if your spouse professes to be a brother or sister in Christ, need to say, listen here, brother. Listen here, sister. This is not acceptable behavior. You are not to abuse your spouse in this way. And hopefully they'll be repentant. Hopefully they'll say, I have sinned greatly. And a restoration process can begin. And I say process because it's not going to get better overnight. Okay, babe, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I abused you for all these years, but I'm going to change. It's all better now. It's not that simple. We desire for restoration, hopefully, in our marriages, but restoration takes time. Repentance can come in an instant. One spouse can even forgive another in an instant. But the restoration process takes time to occur. Now, if we know of a brother or sister that's doing that and we call them out and say, look, look here, this is not right. You're sinning against your spouse. You're sinning against God. If they repent, praise the Lord. You don't forget about what they've done, but you try to help restore them. That's the problem where sometimes we fail. We see people who have done wrong, and sometimes they don't have a desire to repent. And we can try and try to restore them. Eventually, we do all we can do, and that's it. But sometimes we don't even want to try. We think, boy, they have done a horrible thing. I could never help them. Well, they may have done a horrible thing. But the question is, do they have a repentant heart? Do they say, I want to change? Do they, do they seem genuine in what they're saying? Are they really making an effort? Are they saying, look, I'll repent. I know that I've done wrong. Thank you for calling me out. I'm sorry. Would you help me? And we need to try to help restore brother or sister in those situations. Jesus said, if they won't listen to you when they sinned against you, if they won't listen to a couple that go talk to them, Jesus said, bring it before the church body. And say, here, here's what's going on. This brother or this sister is abusing this other brother or sister. This is not right behavior in the eyes of God. And if a brother or sister stands before a whole congregation of other brothers and sisters and refuses to repent, says, no, I haven't done anything wrong. 
then Jesus says, if a person refuses to listen to one who has presented the, the, the sin against them, to two who have come to present the sin against them, to a whole body of believers who have come to present their sin against them, Jesus says, if they will not repent of their sin, then treat them like an unbeliever. Whoa! That's pretty intense right there. Now this last passage we looked at with Paul he was speaking of an unbeliever who is married to a believer. And in some instances, the abusive party will claim to be a believer. But Jesus gives us some steps to take to say, okay, let's see if they're a believer. And Jesus says if there is no repentance in their life, if they don't desire to change, if they don't desire to take care of their spouse and fulfill their vows or whatever it may be, Jesus says if they refuse to repent, then treat them like an unbeliever. Now, this is serious stuff for us to consider. Now, we need to pray for those people that we know who may be in an abusive marriage. <coughs> Sadly, there are a lot of abusive marriages that go on that we have no idea that they go on. People can sure put on a good show when they're in front of others. They can sure come to church and hug and love on their husband and wife and go home and beat them on the head and not think twice about it. Sadly, we don't know of many abusive situations. But the ones we do know about, we need to pray for the husband or for the wife. And we need to pray for those who are in abusive situations to have the strength and the courage and the ability to get out of those situations. Not divorce, but to get out of those situations. And more times than not, what we will see is when the abused spouse leaves the marriage, it won't take long until the abuser probably asks for a divorce. If there's no repentance there, then Jesus says they're an unbeliever. And they would fall into the very category that Paul would tell us about. If you struggle in marriage, if there's abuse in your marriage, I want to pray for you. I want to help you. I can tell you I'm no expert at this. I'm no expert when it comes to these type of things. I don't know much about it. And I know that experience uh, is, 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 is much greater than, than simply what little study anyone can do. And some of you may be saying, but you don't understand. And you're right. I, I can't say that I understand those situations. But all I can do is try to understand God's Word as best as I can. And what God desires... I believe in our earthly marriages is restoration. Sometimes divorce may occur, but even then, as Paul says, restoration needs to, needs to try to happen. If you can get remarried to your spouse, try to do it. I believe that's what God desires in our marriages. And that is extremely difficult in many circumstances. But when we talk about earthly marriages, we cannot help but talk about our relationship with God. We cannot help but think about our marriage with God, that we are the bride of Christ. And perhaps a topic like this is a good time for us to examine our life spiritually. To see if there is any restoration that needs to occur. Because if there is any problem with our relationship with God, well, I can assure you it's not God's fault. 
That's another thing might be worth mentioning. Is oftentimes we see divorces take place. We say, well, well both parties, you know, neither party's perfect. Bo both parties bear some responsibility. And I want to tell you that may not be the case. I'm not telling you that both parties in marriage are perfect. But I'm telling you there may be some marriages that you have not done anything wrong. And sometimes one spouse will feel guilty thinking it must be my fault. It must be something I've done wrong. I'm the one to blame. I haven't been a good enough husband. I haven't been a good enough wife. And there's a lot of guilt and burden and condemnation that comes to you. But I want to tell you, if you're in those situations or know people in those situations, it may very well be that one spouse has not done anything wrong. That they are innocent. That they are not to blame. That they have done everything that they can do. Are they perfect? No. But there are many situations where one spouse is innocent. And I don't know if it's good for us to tell people that are going through a divorce, well, you both have a responsibility to play. Maybe they both do or maybe they do not. But I can assure you when it comes to our relationship with God, if our relationship with God is not what it should be, it is not because God has done wrong. There is only one party who is guilty of sinfulness and of leaving the Lord and of not trusting Him and of not being obedient to Him, and it is not God. It is us. And God tells Israel that time and time again in the Old Testament. I am here for you. I want to deliver you. I want to be with you. I want you to be obedient to me. Listen to me. Come to me. Seek me. Trust me. And I will provide for you. I will protect you from my enemies. And every time, guess who leaves God? It's the Israelites. It's his people that leave God. And every time, do you know what God says? God says, if you will just repent, I want there to be restoration. If you will just turn, I want to restore you. I want to be in good relationship with you. And we need to keep that in mind when we think about our worldly marriages. But we need to keep that in mind when we think about our own relationship with God. Because maybe, just maybe, we're like Israel sometimes. And we don't trust God. We're not obedient to God. We sin against God. And I believe God says the same thing to us that he says to Israel. I believe his words are just as true for us as they were for them. I want you to be restored. I want you to repent. Perhaps today's a good day for you to look at your life. Perhaps you need to be restored. David said in the 23rd Psalm, speaking of God, He restoreth my soul. Isn't that good stuff? You want to you learn what it means to repent and have a heart of repentance? Then go home and read Psalm 51. Coincidentally, we're preaching through that on Wednesday nights if you want to go through it more. But go home and read Psalm 51. If you want to see a prayer of a heart of repentance and what repentance looks like for someone who has broken their relationship with God and desires to be restored, you read the words of David in Psalm 51. And maybe in reading them you'll say, you know what? God, in my relationship with you, I need to be restored. God, I'm in a marriage that's horrible and I want it to be restored. So God, give me the strength to know what to do. Help me to get to safety if I need to get to safety. Help change my spouse if at all possible. It's a lot for us to consider and a lot for us to think about today. Let us pray to God to help us to be restored to Him. 
Let us pray that God would help restore broken marriages. And let us pray for those who are in those broken marriages. That God would give them guidance and discernment and strength by His Holy Spirit and by His Word to know what is the right thing to do. And should we have the opportunity to help people in those situations, let us help them in love. Let us help them with the desire to restore. Let us help them with the desire to get them to safety. Let us not pretend like these things do not exist, but let us do our best to help people who are going through these things as God has done His best to restore us when we are going through things. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today, and I thank you for these words. God, this is a lot to consider, and this is so tough. But dear Lord God, I want to pray pray this morning for those who are in marriages where there is abuse taking place. I pray for the men. I pray for the women who are being abused. God, I know it's not as, as easy, always as easy as just leaving. God, I pray that you would provide ways to, to, to get people to safety if at all possible. God, help us as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to be there, to help those who are in those type of situations, to give them shelter, to give them support, to pray for them, God, to strengthen them, not to be judgmental and think less of people. God, there are some things that are out of people's control, God. And God, help us who are married to stay on track in our own marriages. God, the devil will try to attack us. God, he will try to drive wedges in between spouses and cause problems, dear Lord. He is a master at things like that, and he will do it, even good marriages, dear Lord. So let us not ever let our guard down. But be on guard against the attacks of the devil, that he doesn't break our marriages, dear Lord, but that we trust you and you make them stronger, that it builds our strength in our relationship with you, that our, it builds our strength in our relationship with our spouse, that it helps us to be a light to the world, to be a, to be a strength to others who are in marriage, both good marriages and bad marriages, God. I pray that you help us to understand your word in these areas. These are hard words, dear Lord. And maybe we interpret these things different. Maybe we have a different view, but God, so be it. Let us live by the conviction that you give us. Let us live by what we feel the Holy Spirit leading us when decisions come about divorce in our life, about reconciliation in our life, about, God, how we handle our own marriages and how we, how we encourage and advise others to handle theirs, dear Lord. Let us understand your word as best we can and live by what we feel convicted that it says, God. I pray that if there is any who are abused today, God, that they would not feel burdened, that they would not feel ashamed, that they would not feel that they cannot seek help. God, but that if at all possible, if there's any way that, that, a, that a brother or sister can help them, that I can help them, whoever it may be, God, let us, let us do what we can to help in those situations. Let them seek help, dear Lord. God, I thank you for being good to us. God, I pray that you would help us to examine our own lives to see that if we are like Israel and we have sinned against you, God, that we would seek you to be restored. That we would learn from the words of David in Psalm 51 that we would repent, that we would seek you. And God, knowing the truth, knowing the comfort, knowing the strength that your word says, God, when we come to you and, we're, and we repent, you will forgive us. So God, maybe there are some today that have never trusted Jesus. I pray today that they would repent of their sins and trust him, put their faith in him, follow through with baptism, God, as he commands. And maybe there are others, God, that there are times that we sin. I pray that you get us on track on those times, that we repent, that we seek you, that we experience restoration in our relationship with you, 
and the joy that comes with it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.